Well, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 44. Psalm 44, as we continue our evening periodic series, occasional series on in the Psalms. This uh, book was first opened by John Carroll, and we picked up where uh, John had left off, and we enjoy continuing to open and look at the Psalms together. Psalm number 44. Hear the word of the Lord. For the choir director, a mascal of the sons of Korah, O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us, the work that thou didst in their days and the days of old. Thou with thine own hand didst derive out the nations. Then thou didst plant them. Thou didst afflict the peoples. Thou didst spread them abroad, for by their own sword they did not possess the land, and their own arm did not save them. But thy right hand and thy arm and the light of thy presence, for thou didst favor them. Thou art my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Through thee we will push back our adversaries. Through thy name we will trample down those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, nor will my sword save me. But thou hast saved us from our adversaries, and thou hast put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted all day long, and we will give thanks to thy name forever. Yet thou hast rejected us and brought us to dishonor and dost not go out with our armies. Thou dost cause us to turn back from the adversary, and those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. Thou dost give us as sheep to be eaten, and hast scattered us among the nations. Thou dost sell thy people cheaply, and hast not profited by their sale. Thou hast made us a reproach to our neighbors, a scoffing and derision to those around us. Thou dost make us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my dishonor is before me, and my humiliation has overwhelmed me because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles, because of the presence of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten thee. And we have not dealt falsely with thy covenant. Our heart is not turned back, and our steps have not deviated from thy way. Yet, thou hast crushed us in a place of jackals, and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God, or extended our hand to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. But for thy sake, we are killed all day long. And we are considered as sleep sheep to be slaughtered. Rouse thyself. Why dost thou sleep, O Lord? Awake. Do not reject us forever. Why dost thou hide thy face and forget our affliction and our oppression for our soul has sunk down into the dust, our body cleaves to the earth. Rise up, 
be our help and redeem us for the sake of Thy loving kindness. Amen. Well, in Israel, it was very common to sing a psalm after a great victory in battle. Victory should lead to celebration and thankfulness to God. But it was also customary to sing after a defeat. When the children of Israel had gone out into battle, they had gone out with a strong arm, they thought of the Lord, and they were crushed. Psalm 44 is such a psalm. Now the psalm has singulars and plurals in it, sprinkled throughout. And so on the one hand, it is a psalm of lament in defeat by a nation. On the other hand, it is a psalm of lament in defeat by a king. And those two are interwoven together because of the nexus of the people of God on the one hand and their king on the other. But throughout the surprising psalm, we learn this fact. Necessary to understand and appreciate the life of Christ and also your Christian life. And it's this. In God's great plan, things aren't always what they appear. In God's great plan, things are not always what they appear. Now, the psalm was written by the sons of Korah. They wrote this psalm. And in it, they record the fact that their fathers had communicated to them about the great deeds God had done. Verse 1, God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us the work that thou didst in their days in the days of old. And what are the works? Well, verse 2 says, they drove out the Canaanites. That is, God drove out the Canaanites before them. Because God drove them out and therefore they were victorious. And in verse 3 we read that God had favored their fathers. That in their victories it was the hand of God that was at work and to him should be given all praise For by their sword they did not possess the land, and their own arm did not save them, but thy right hand and thy arm and the light of thy presence, for thou didst favor them. Their fathers had told them about the great deeds which God had done for the nation in giving them security in victory. And in verse 4, The sons of Korah sing to us that God is the king. Thou art my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Here the command of God is not to the people that they should do something, but it's the command of God from heaven. It's the command of the sovereign Lord for him to declare what providence shall be and to unfold it before them. Jacob. The sons of Israel. Jacob needs victory and only the sovereign Lord can pronounce and accomplish such a thing. God is victorious, we read in verse 5. And God is one who doesn't sit idly by while he watches his people struggle in battle. God is the one who fights for his people in verses 6 and 7. 
There the psalmist sings, For I will not trust in my bow, nor will my sword save me, but thou hast saved us from our adversaries. Thou hast put us, has put to shame those who hate us. They have victory. Not only in God, but here by God. And so he becomes their boast in verse 8. In God we have boasted all day long, and we will give thanks to thy name forever. And so God has been great. He has been great to give them victory after victory. He has shown himself to be their leader and their king from heaven. But now they face a different sort of providence. Verse 9 summarizes it for us when it says, Yet, God, thou hast rejected us and brought us to dishonor, and thou dost not go out with our armies. Thou dost cause us to turn back from the adversary, from those who hate us, who have taken spoil for themselves. The enemies of Israel have triumphed on the field of battle. And Israel has suffered this defeat. And it is a symptom that God Himself, the sovereign Lord of the heavens, who is their King, has pronounced that providence will unfold in this backward sort of way, in this upside-down sort of way. Things are not the way they should be. They are not winning as they were before. Now they are losing. And they have lost their land And they have lost their livelihood, their homes, their sons and daughters and cattle, and their crops have been taken. Oh, they have been plundered. And they have suffered derision as well. Oh, the loss of their things of this life. For the children of Israel was a very serious problem. Because, you see, they in their national life and in their religious dimension were living out a great play or opera for all the people of God down through history to learn from and to understand. They were to act in an outward way and teach us something about the inward realities of the gospel. The sacrifices, the temple and and the altar and the whole system of blood being shed and, and blood even being taken into the Holy Holies and Holy of Holies and sprinkled. Uh, the the state scapegoat ceremony, all of that was to teach them about their own sinfulness and their need of forgiveness by the shedding of blood and, and identification and, and transference and substitution, those basic building blocks of the Christian faith. They were defeated. And so there was a crisis, not just in the land, but also in their souls. Their enemies made fun of them. Their enemies taunted them. But more than this, the events themselves taunted them. Because in verse 17, we hear the psalmist singing, All this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten thee. We've not dealt falsely with thy covenant. Our heart has not turned back and our steps have not deviated from thy way. We have been faithful to your covenant, O Lord. We've not turned our back on you and yet we have been defeated. Why is this?
And under inspiration, the psalmist hears no answer. There is no answer given in this text to that pressing spiritual and physical problem for the children of Israel. Why me, Lord? Why has this happened? And their words only bounced off of the ceiling back at them. There was silence from their God. You see, the answer to that riddle, the solution to that conundrum would only be discovered in their national life later in the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who was the Son of God, the Son of God incarnate, intended by His heavenly Father to be the suffering servant and the payment for our sin. You see, the sons of Korah wrote this song, but Jesus lived it. It's a messianic song. It's a song which points to Jesus and teaches us about His own experience. He knew the blessing of His heavenly Father. Angels had hailed His coming And he joyed to dwell in the house of his heavenly father, even as a teenager, even as a youngster, the age of some that are here now. He heard those wonderful words shouted from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. He was transfigured. He stood on that mountain And his clothing and his body, his face and his hair shone like the noonday sun. He learned. He learned the reality of his own words. I and the Father are one. He could look at his brother disciples and the crowd and throng that gathered around him and with truthfulness of heart, he could say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And how did he enter Jerusalem? Did he not enter to the throngs of adoring crowds? Did they not hail him as he came? We had a funny episode in the narthex this morning. Some of you might have seen it. I was nearly baptized with coffee. I was holding coffee and uh, one of our very energetic covenant children came bounding through the door and the door went slap and uh, the coffee went on me and on the floor and, and with tongue in cheek, I, I turned to Gladys and I said, they were, people were so kind, they were putting all these uh, napkins down and trying to dry me off in my shoes. It was uh, quite a spectacle. And I looked, I looked at Gladys and I said, well, this must have been what it was like when they were throwing, you know, things on the road for Jesus. This is amazing. <laughs> Jesus lived that. They hailed him as the king, the fulfillment of biblical promise. He was the culmination of all their prayers and hopes and dreams. And then the triumphant Messiah picked up the cup of suffering and the agony of defeat. He was arrested like a common criminal. He was tried and convicted, not just once, but twice. Once by the Jewish 
authorities and another time under pressure by the Roman authorities as well. He was mocked and beaten. And then he was marched unceremoniously out beside the city near the trash heap. And he was nailed to a strip of wood and hung up, crucified until he died. Like a lamb dumb before his shearers, the spotless lamb of Calvary, the beloved son of our heavenly father, there struggled for breath and gave up his spirit, breathing his last, and there God died. God incarnate. God, the second person of the Trinity, eternal. The eternal Son of God died there, His soul being separated from His body that He had taken so mysteriously in the Incarnation. And His body was laid in a tomb. But why? Why must God die? Why does the Son of God have to go through such tragedy? All of Israel was a parable pointing to Him. If there was anyone ever obedient to the covenant, it was this man. This man was more obedient, perfectly obedient, inwardly and outwardly, beyond any others. Why must he die? Well, the Messianic Psalm doesn't tell us. It leaves us hungering and thirsting after righteousness to know more. To know more about Jesus. It whets our appetite to hear the gospel and to know Him and to trust Him with our whole hearts. To look to Him alone for our salvation. Because the fact of the matter is, is this whole psalm points to the One who died for us and for our salvation. How can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood. His death. His mocking and His defeat were in the strange providence of God. Our victory and our glory and our only hope. And so... You and I must live in Him. We must live this psalm because if we are His and He is ours, we have inherited Psalm 44 through our Savior and our King. We know the blessing of His heavenly Father in our lives. Did you know, brother and sister, that you were loved from before the foundation of the world? From before the first time you ever took breath? From the first moment that you ever looked and thought of Him. He was thinking of you and caring for you and tending your soul and working all of history just to the point in which you would receive the gift of grace and faith and repentance and love. Oh, you were outfitted for such a day. He made you in His image. He shaped and molded your life that you might be ready to love the Savior and to live more after His image and to be ready with Him to be resurrected on that great day. You were adopted. 
into the very family of God. You were a recipient of every blessing under heaven. But all of these great and glorious things come only in Christ, only in the Son, in your union and communion with Him, which He alone can give by His Word and Spirit. Oh, the favor of the Father has become ours. His covenant of redemption where He vowed to do His Father's holy will, has become your covenant of grace that you rejoice in and enjoy forevermore. We get what He deserves because He got what we deserve. And so His lot is our lot as well. In John 15... In John 15, verse 18, we read, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And His calling, is it not our calling? In Philippians Chapter 2, in the great hymn to Christ, we read, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." His calling to humble Himself even to the point of suffering and death is our calling, is your calling. Have this attitude, the Apostle says, after chiding the brethren for their lack of of selflessness and their frequent possession of empty conceit rather than humility of mind in which they should regard one another as more important than themselves. And so too his defeat is our triumph. In Romans 8, in verse 35 we read, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? For as it is written... For thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His defeat by the Apostle Paul is said to be a fulfillment for us and in our lives of victory and life with God forever. Oh, in this life, The psalmist here is teaching us that things are not always what they appear. Defeat can actually be victory. Trials, even the worst of them, 
sometimes turn into the most precious gold that we have to give to our Heavenly Father in worship. The Lord has been found faithful, has He not, even in adversity. And so I ask you, when the Son of Man comes, will you, will you be found faithful? Let us pray. Our most gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we do ask that you may help us to be more like Christ who is our husband and our head. We ask, O Lord, that we may see that your word so helpfully teaches that his suffering and defeat is our glory and victory. Help us to be like him. Help us to bear our sufferings and even our defeats to your glory. And we will give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen.